listening to the Couples Guide podcast. I'm Ryan. And I'm Talia. We're both licensed marriage and family therapists. And today, like every day, (laughs) we're debunking myths and delivering truth about dating, relationships, and everything in between. Trust us. It's awesome. Episode 83. Wow. I actually am feeling like this isn't episode 83. This feels to me like episode 3083. Well, at this rate, I feel like this is just episode three. So oh my that's goodness. interesting. That's so interesting. No way. That huh. is not true at all. We are in episode are you, are you gonna fight me about it? 83. Yes, I am right. You are wrong. <laughs> I, I love it. I love when you think that you're right. It's like so funny to me. (laughs) Why don't we think, why don't we ask the therapist and see what she says? I just wish that people could on the podcast see your face face that you're making. It's so good. Sorry, listeners. You don't get that visual, but it is. We'll get a visual on this soon enough, but it's imagine the most, what would it be? Contemptuous and like moody face just like "Mm, that's nice for you yeah Yeah. just picture whatever that visual gives you yeah (laughs) nice today episode a three three sides to the truth listeners might be guessing where we're going with this um and this is a really cool topic because it blends two things that we are both experiencing in our practice recently and kind of realize that they relate and i'm I'm gonna start off with like this couple dynamic that is so common that we see in relationships where Couples will come in and oftentimes they'll start talking about one thing. Mm-hmm. They'll get into an argument about the one thing. And then the argument will escalate and shift into fighting about what was true about their experience in the thing. And, and then it becomes was- a battle about like who's right versus like the thing they originally were starting to battle about. It's like they lose sight of the issue that they were trying to figure mm-hmm. out. And then it just becomes a, I'm right, you're wrong, yeah. you know, slugfest. Yes. And I see this often. Um, <laughs> I see this in my personal life and in my professional life, just uh-huh. around, you know, people in general, that, that interlocking feeling of we're losing sight of what this was originally about. And now it's become, I need you before I come to your side to even see your perspective, before I'm even willing to imagine a world where I might not be right, I need you, parentheses, and I'm not going to tell you what that actually looks like because that's even more of a game, to join (laughs) with my perspective that you show that I'm right before I can even consider that you might also be right or that I might be wrong or that we might be both wrong. And we need to pick something else. And I see this happening a lot with couples when they're really locked in negative sentiment override. And when they're really locked in this position, both of them are feeling very unappreciated or very misunderstood. And this is fuel on the fire of that. And this is where we see a lot of kitchen sinking, which as a reminder is when you're in an argument or a discussion with your partner and you're quote unquote, throwing everything in the kitchen sink at them. And you're referencing, and this is just like that other time, three weeks ago or nine years ago or whatever. And the person, the person receiving the information is like, what are you talking about? That to me might have nothing to do with it or it may, but are, what are we focusing on? Yeah. And so this snowball effect happens and that's why we named the episode 
three sides to the truth because it's based on that phraseology. There are three sides to the truth. There's my side and my perspective that only I can know through my eyes and my human history. You are your the expert side, of your yes. experience. Your side, your perspective, your human history, and then mm-hmm. the actual court of law proven if there were a recording device in the room and an objective jury, what the truth was. And all of them to some degree are valid. And the two of each of the individuals of the couple, those are valid because I, I'm not in their brain. I'm not Miss Frizzle from the magic school bus. I can't go in and know what that felt like. I can only imagine based on what you shared, right? Uh, hold on. <laughs> two cheers for the classic reference. Gosh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're too young to know the magic school bus. <laughs> no, I'm not. The magic school bus is my jam. Is oh my gosh, love the magic school bus. Yeah. I wish, I wish that we could do that with our clients and just go up in there. Go in see. there. Yeah. And then there's the actual middle ground truth. And I think if we even look at the positioning of the room of most therapists, if you're actually in session or even online, if you imagine the role of the therapist to be a potential source of objective truth, though we weren't there for this event, we are a filter for these two individuals' perspectives. And typically, this does happen their first session, but typically we get to know them a little more and have some history and intake that we can truly be more objective, but also being very mindful. Oh, I see where their perspective was this because this reminds them of their dad in childhood. Okay, okay, (laughs) all right, this makes sense. And then being able to offer it. Yes, I mean, I've had clients scream at me, lash out at me, et cetera. We get projected onto. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big part of the job is being able to sit there and tolerate it and understand, oh, this isn't about me at all. This is 100% about typically it's hundred percent about the client and their experience and their perception and perspective of even what's happening in the room mm-hmm. to change too. So there are three sides to the truth. You might not always be right. And is that frustrating? Yes. However, in a long-term relationship and marriage and being in relation to somebody for the rest of your life, your goal ideally is not to be right all the time. And if you shift your goal from, I want to be right all the time to, I want my goal for myself and my partner to feel 80% plus understood all the time, your conflict style changes completely because your defense is lower when you hear your partner's perspective and you don't filter it as, well, he's making my thing more untrue. It's my thing is hundred percent true. And his thing is hundred percent true. Huh? How did we get so far off? And you don't look at your partner as an enemy anymore. Yeah, I really, really, really like that. And I do that so much, trying to shift away from the language of who's right into, do I understand my partner? Because so much, I'm going to echo what you just shared, but I'm going to say it in my words. I think it's such an important thing that I really try to help couples understand that they both have genuine experiences in the exact same moment. Both are true. Both are meaningful and the, they're different from the other person. And so the key is about, you can have the exact same moment and exactly different experiences and they're both genuine and true and that's okay. How do you tolerate though? You know, mm-hmm. we shift this discussion to then, well, how do you tolerate that you might have different experiences that are mm-hmm. both genuine? And most importantly, like what you're saying, how do you then hear and listen to this is what my partner experienced as the truth in this moment? And here's my truth. That's all. Mm-hmm. And 
and understanding your partner's truth, we try to shift does not equal that my truth doesn't matter or wasn't true. And that's where couples get locked into. They think that, well, if I understand and validate where my partner's coming from, I'm for some reason giving up my truth about what was true mm -hmm. for me. And therefore it's like, I'm wrong. And that can be very threatening or vulnerable. No, 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 no. It's getting used to the concept that there are almost multiple realities or in you know common culture now, the multiverse is real, right? Like there's actually mm -hmm. these three sides to the truth. There's objective reality that we can never actually know because yeah. our memories are fucked. Like it's just yeah. memory is not reliable. No. <laughs> It's, it's so funny. That's a whole separate discussion about like how memory actually works. But, and then we have these separate genuine truths and it's how to talk about them. Yes. And another stuck thing you said earlier, actually, I forgot, um, I'm rambling a little bit, but this piece that um, I love how you described the psyche of how important it is that we can get kind of into our defenses that I need to be heard about what's true for me. I need to be understood before I even think about putting myself in your shoes. Yeah. I think we, I want to dive into like where that comes from. I think that's important. But right now in the dynamic is, well, yeah, but when your partner's doing that also, great. Now you're getting nowhere because both of you are just like digging in and going, no, I need to be heard first. Right. Well, if you both do that, no one's going to get heard. So a lot of this discussion is to help shift perspective to be like, well, okay, who wants to be the first one to, to soften down yeah. and go? And how can you shift from the first one sharing is now quote unquote losing because they're giving um, some kind of like uh, ground to the argument. Yeah. Yeah. And instead it being not a, you know, guns point at each other. It's a, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to shift and shift and listen so that we're shifting away from fighting each other to fighting this thing that's keeping us stuck. Yeah, I have, yeah, I have, I have a multitude of, of comments to make to support that and yeah. to segue. And I think an important definition is like, I'm very big on linguistics and like dictionary definitions mm -hmm. that separating truth is the quality or the state of being true it's like the fact of the matter there's mm -hmm. there's a belief that's accepted as the truth it's a more of a certainty mm -hmm. and what's real is defined as having objective independent existence being precisely what it what is implied occurring occurring or in, existing in actuality and yes there is a very slight difference but a lot of people have a very strong reaction to, well, that's not true. Mainly because the silent part after that's not true is for me. That's not true for me. Or if that is true for you, can really what we're subversively asking is, can this also be true for you too? Can my truth, what I believe, and society way overblew that phrase, well, it's my truth. No, it's not. It's your feelings or your opinion. And that doesn't make it an objective truth, right? It doesn't make it a fact of the matter. And separating those two can often help couples to shift, like you're saying, from me versus my partner to us versus the problem, because we're talking about what's real. I don't like to use the word true in my sessions because that's going to lead us to more arguments. And if you want to do that, you don't have to pay me and fight in front of me. You can do that for free 99 outside of my office. If you <laughs> yeah. want to know what's real, what's real is the two of you are pissed off at each other because you're in this locked in defensive stance where I don't want to let my side go 
because I don't want to be vulnerable or I don't want to have to admit I may have been wrong. Right. Or I don't want to be vulnerable and I don't want to admit that you may have been more accurate in your recollection of what happened in terms of the fact, not the feeling. Both of them are valid in their feelings for the most Mm -hmm. part. So shifting couples to see that is often so tough and can require some of their own individual parallel work because of what was modeled for them growing up. What kind of conflict style have they become ingrained with over the years that they've related to other people? And what beliefs do they have about people who are more quick to take accountability? That's often where I work with couples on is they have a lot of judgments about either men or women or whoever. They have judgments about people who fill in the blank, people who automatically side with their partner or automatically aren't defensive or are accepting of their might not be right, are weak, are vulnerable, are pushover. Like that's really what I'm wrestling with and contending with more than who's right, who's wrong. Yeah. Well, I like that where you're kind of coming from the, what's the belief structure that's kind of keeping these postures entrenched. Mm-hmm. If you were to, if you were to be a person who did not have your own defensive response, when you heard your partner share, and we talked about this phraseology, I t- recommend this to everyone. When I experienced blank mm-hmm. behavior, literally, I'm not using the word you at all. When I experienced coming home to dirty dishes, I felt overwhelmed. I felt frustrated. I felt that the help in the relationship was lopsided, whatever it is. And based on my experience, literally my own little experience, the story I made up in my head was, this is going to turn out like my parents' marriage. We're going to end up in couples counseling. I can never, I'm putting that in quotes, ask for help. You are unreliable, right? And that's very specific that I would use the word you if I really meant it. And I would frame it as that's a belief. And I don't want to have the belief that you, my partner, are unreliable. So that's why I'm sharing this with you. Right. And you don't even have to use the word you. You could say that my partner is unreliable because it really is a projection. You're not thinking that about your partner. You're thinking about who you think your partner should be compared to who they're showing you in your brain, your belief that they are. And that's where couples can actually get down to the business of healing from a rupture because now we're sharing it safely in the context and the couple, the member of the couple who hears that can go, you saw this, you felt that. And then you said this, oh yeah, actually I can totally see how you would believe that. You walked me through your line of logic, step one, two, and three, obviously that's going to equal this fear. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't realize how much these things were a butterfly effect and it led you to believe this. I don't want you to believe that about me either. What can I do? And I need you to do this next time so I can do that, right? I need you to remind me and send me a text. You're the more reminded one. You have everything in your calendar. Can you please just text me at four o'clock that you, to remind me about the dishes? Like, and a lot of women don't like to have to, and that's the standard stereotype couple I see. A lot of women don't like to have to do that, but what's more important to you? that it gets done or that it gets done without you having to ask. And it's some fantasy lover that comes home and remembers everything. You, do you want a boyfriend or an assistant? <laughs> I've had to say that to a lot of the women I work with. They're like, damn. And I'm like, yeah. you have a fantasy projection of this perfect guy or, and this last thing I'll say, you're comparing what your partner is or isn't doing or this what's right or what's true or what should be happening based on your parents or other elders that you viewed in your family system 
who were decades older than the current partner you're with at a different phase of their male adulthood and are in the zone, right? We have stages of development for men and women and are in the zone to be 100% provider and have had 20 to 30 years of their wife on them having to ask them. So you're seeing like 50 year old man trained for 30 years, able to do behavior and comparing it to 30 to 35 year old man trained for two years, poorly, probably not being able to achieve it. Like you have to have a realistic comparison. That's all I'm going to say on that. Okay. I like that tangent or I mean, it's yeah. related. I don't know. If it's, I guess that's what a tangent is, but it's yeah, I love that, yeah. that part. Um, I, I was going to go back to the I statements that you yeah. did a good example of and why that is so useful and also why it can still be a challenge in the truth thing. Yeah. As you shared with this good example of that I statement of sharing an internal experience, that's where when you're using I statements and sharing with your partner, you're the expert of you. So you get to be able to like, no, this is true for me. Right. And it's the reason why it's one of the gold tools of couples therapy as a starting point mm-hmm. is because it's helping couples get used to refocus on the use, the blames, the criticisms of what is going on inside and get used to sharing internally. We yeah. love this. We love this. It's a gold tool for couples therapy. And I think we're also talking about though, it can get still difficult where people can get really, couples can get really good at like sharing I statements, but even the I'm feeling frustrated when the sink is messy, that can still lead to a partner having a challenging experience and hearing that. And that's kind of where I'm, you know, diving into because then, you know, we see in our office, then the partner was like, what? No, I cleaned the dishes. That was your thing or whatever. And go in, mm-hmm. and then it's so easy it can spiral out mm-hmm. into, wait a second. <laughs> this, this is now throwing the, the sink at the argument, a bunch of stuff's going on. And now we're back into let's fight over the truth or not. So there's still an important place, not just using I statements, but to slow down in a relationship and appreciate when our partner is sharing their experience without blaming or criticizing, without use statements, mm-hmm. and really tolerating hearing that and just getting that skill set to be able to listen fully and put yourself in their shoes and be okay with that you disagree with them. You don't have to agree with what they're saying about a certain topic, mm-hmm. but it's important to honor their experience, honor that it doesn't matter what was going on in the sink, they're mm-hmm. feeling frustrated. A lot of the ways that like I attune couples to this is, is we start talking about like, so your partner is sharing they're in distress right now. They're in distress. What are you doing when you hear your partner's in distress? Are you there for them mm-hmm. in their distress? or? Are you there and batting down and and making Mm -hmm. it worse? And the last thing on this I will say is actually from a couple who shared this with me from a parenting thing. They couldn't remember where they got it from. They got from a parenting thing that I think so applies to couples, which is, uh, and they have like a a very young child. I don't want to say exactly old. I don't know why, but whatever. Mm -hmm. So, um, and they were talking about how they learned to think my child isn't giving me a hard time. My child is having a hard time. 
Mm Because anything with a young child where we all go like, oh my God, that's the most annoying thing ever. Yeah, it's a hard time, but they're a kid. Yeah. I think this applies to relationships. The things that frustrate us or get us into these modes in relationships, if we can retrain our brain to, (laughs) sorry, that's a cool Talia. um, uh, My group, um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, you can retrain your brain into when you hear something that your partner's frustrated and instead of going into this, like, well, I need to defend my truth about it, go, oh, Mm -hmm. wait, they're actually having a hard time. They're not giving me a hard time and trying to argue with me about what's true for me. They're struggling right now. What does that click me into? How do I shift my response when I see that they are struggling, my partner? And that requires a great deal of maturity, emotional maturity, ego strength, and ability to tolerate discomfort without getting defensive. Many adults struggle with that, partially because it was never modeled for them or rarely modeled for them. And partially because after there was something maybe modeled for them, they didn't have a practice person to really reinforce what that should in quotes be like. And so the way you're describing it, I think is the gold standard or the ideal. Uh And the more couples can even strive for that. Like this is my ultimate goal. Even if I fall short, it's better than what I was doing. Uh That's all that we can really hope for unless somebody's coming in to treatment to actively work on this. Because I think part of the frustration, part of the frustration that a lot of people have when they're hearing that, and I've worked with at least two, but numerous couples over the years that have that pattern where their partner is sharing and I can filter through, even if they're not explicitly saying it, they're in distress. They have an unmet need that this is what we're trained to do. We're sitting there and I will try and be the conduit of that to share with defensive partner. And it's like the meme on Instagram. That's like, well, maybe you shouldn't be such a little bitch then. And I'm like, that's not the risk. Okay. Well, we're going to work that one back. Cause that's not <laughs> the response that you should be having if you want to stay married, but that's yeah. your choice. And maybe when I'll, I'll say, if you have a different goal where the goal is to no longer be married, that is the exact statement that I want you to keep saying. Like, I'll be, I'll be passive aggressive back to them. And they're like, some of them are like, shit, you're right. I shouldn't have said that. And they catch themselves being there, doing their old thing. And they correct and they go, can I try that again? I'm like, yes, yes, this is what I want. Versus the ones that are like, I don't care. I'm like, okay, this session probably needs to stop because you are regressing back into a very structured stance that there's walls coming up that even I can't get through nor do I want to fight you on this. So we're going to call a pause. We're going to do some progressive muscle relaxation. We're going to try and get you back to being more regulated. And then we're going to try it again. And I'm going to tell your partner what you need to in the future. So you can see it come out of somebody else's mouth. And I model that for them. And even if they don't like it, they'll usually sit there and be like, yeah, I get it. Like, and I'm like, and I'm not invalidating that it's frustrating to hear that your partner is in distress, but a lot of the times what happens with couples, especially in the therapy room is, well, that's not fair because when I was in distress, you said this to me, but now when he's in distress or she's in distress, you're saying this, it's, we're all, I need us all to be adults in this room. And in order for us to do that, we need to be emotionally regulated and we need to feel heard and understood. And if there's something I need to tell you that you can feel more of that so we can move forward, I need you to tell me that in this moment. Otherwise we're going to proceed with the intervention or the exercise. And so it's a lot of, I think in those moments, really being the strong, firm, 
this is the goal. You came in here because you want to salvage your marriage. You came in here because you want to strengthen the bond you already have. And these two areas are where you're having friction. You hired me for a reason. <laughs> Stop talking and listen to what I'm sharing with <laughs> you because I care. And it's my literal job to help you as much as you will let me. Yes. We, it is hard when couples come in. And the whole point is you're or at least I think really good couples three is we're doing it differently in the room. Yes. We don't want to do the old moves, the old pattern. You want to practice no. the new stuff here with this expert guidance because it's really in the experiential piece that we remember these things. And then you can see it outside a session. I love that. Um, and then one thing, oh, I know I wanted to talk about patience. I don't remember what you said that made me think about patience. Probably being able to sit and listen to your partner and postpone your own agenda. That's the hardest part for couples. They sit there and they dissect two seconds. They sit there and dissect what the couple is saying or the partner is saying, and they didn't even hear what the partner said. Yes. Yes. It's exactly that dynamic. So patience is that if you want to summarize like this big skill to develop in the relationship, it's having patience because being patient to listen and understand and hear your partner's truth without needing to be heard about your truth is so key. We get that if we trust that yes. after I hear and understand my partner's truth, there will be time for me to share and be heard about my truth as well. Mm-hmm. Great, we can do that. But that takes patience. What I'll say um, to that, that I don't really like teach my couples this in session because I, I I don't, I don't think it lands super well, but I think over time they get it through experience is I'm looking to help support them build that patience because I think early on, I used to try to explain this to people and I would get a blowback that if, Hey, you just need to be patient. We got to do one, the other. And the, but I want to go part, now. Yeah. Well, there, I want to go now or the partner who was all, if I explain this early on in sessions, the partner who was kind of like, this is already a lot of work. Like patience just felt tedious. And that's true. When we're learning patience, I don't know if you've ever trained a dog or not, but when you're learning patience, it's tons of mental energy. And Mm -hmm. so it can feel like a really bad word. But what I want to let listeners know ahead of this is that at the end of learning the skill of patience, of choosing to let your partner share their truth, understand it, and then trust that you'll be able to share yours and be heard as well, Mm-hmm. At the end of it, it's not just a mentally draining exercise of patience. Actually, what happens is you both feel so connected because you've learned it's not a big fight. You've learned it's not we're battling each other. It changes from a, an energy and mental drain into connection, which is generally for most people incredibly uplifting. Mm-hmm. It just takes practice in the development of patience before patience feels that good. Yeah, but it's, it's I true. just want listeners to know, I, I, I get to see this in my office all the time, that when the shift happens, it's, it's, in, it's invigorating, it's exciting. It's like, oh, patience is not a dirty word anymore. Mm-mm. It is a really positive experience of, oh yeah, I can give this act of love and listening to my partner. They'll really appreciate it and enjoy it. Then I'll also get my needs met to be heard and understood. And I know at the end of this, we're going to feel so cool together because we have a deeper understanding of one another. And that's the ripe conditions to whatever problem started this whole debate about who's right. 
um, will actually resolve itself more likely. And then you also, for those problem solvers out there, will get the solution figured out. You'll find a new solution to the old problem. Yes. And it That's requires, my little, yeah. yeah, it requires a lot of practice, maturity, and trust mm -hmm. that you will get your turn, quote unquote. Yes. And it's not, it's not going to feel that way for the remainder of the relationship. I'll be very diligent about how I say this <laughs> in the beginning, if you are, whether it's with this specific partner or this is your relationship pattern and history on your own, and this is something that's continuing and perpetuating, you will have time to share. And it also may not be in that exact session. And it also may not be right after your partner shares. Mm -hmm. Life is messy and imperfect. And there will be times where you have to wait a few hours, a week, a day, whatever amount of time because your partner isn't ready to hear it, because you haven't formulated it effectively yet. And it's much better to learn the skill of being very diligent with your word. That's a prevention technique rather than having to learn at very deep levels how to repair from six months all the way to I've seen 10 to 15 years worth of if I had only waited and not said what I impulsively was thinking, I wouldn't have to go back after this quote unquote fight and make a repair your choice. You either get to sit with the discomfort of, and I call, I, this is my analogy that I've coined. It's like labor and delivery. Labor is the gross, messy, disgusting part where you're looking at your partner and screaming at them like, fuck you, you did this to me, blah, like monster dragon version. And then delivery is like, oh, look what we made. Oh my yeah. God. And we have like amnesia of just like the pain and the muck and the disc just the fluids. It's just disgusting. And your labor in this case is your job. That is not something you do at your partner. You can have them witness it if they consent, but do not just labor all over them. Your job is to have it be a clean delivery. And you can still narrate. Earlier today, I was literally racing around the house, <laughs> screaming your name, cursing myself. Why did I do this? Like you're just calmly detailing it. And then you say, and then I realized I was being an asshole and that it was actually my fault. And that's what I wanted to share with you, right? Delivery. Yeah. Your partner is going to be much more, uh, less reluctant. They're going to be much less reluctant to hear the delivery. And you might have to be patient to give your delivery at a time where your partner can hear it. It's something I talk about on Instagram a lot. Your ideal timing to share something with your partner or for them, for your desire and like need for them to understand it at that moment is probably not going to match your partner's ideal timing. And who do you become? when that's the case and how can you become a more mature tolerant person in that waiting period and in hopes of closing the gap so you only have maybe 15 or 20 minutes of misalignment not six months to 16 years of misalignment yeah that really important and enough tolerance to be able to acknowledge hey we're kind of misaligned right now yes. can we either get aligned or do we need to wait X amount of time. And that's what I ask my couples so when key, I see yeah. that they're not on the same page or I see them being petty. I see them being mm -hmm. arrogant. I see them engaging in old behaviors that are destructive to the goal of we are supposed to stay together or want to stay together. And I will stop. And it's not an intervention. Like I'm not giving them, why don't we try this? I'm like, so, um, sorry, <laughs> what's the goal here? And they've heard me say that a lot and it catches them on like, oh, we did get misaligned. I was like, and I've said that before, because if the goal is to hate each other and have a very contentious divorce, keep doing what you're doing. You do not need me. Yep. If the goal is to relate to each other differently, which is going to be really uncomfortable because you're becoming a person you've never been before. 
at the same time, your partner is becoming a person they've never been before, which naturally the positive consequences, you're going to be in a brand new, you know, 2.0, as I like to call it, relationship. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to feel good right now. Not the beginning. It's going to feel really weird. And your defensive response when, as a human being, things feel weird is to regress back to your homeostasis and what you've known to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. And guess what? The more you push forward with this, this like mean coach, like fitness version of me, yeah, the yeah. more you push through it and get over it, this is your new normal. Mm-hmm. You're welcome to regress. I am here. I love and care about you deeply, no matter who you become. I'm here to contain. There's some boundaries, but past that, like <laughs> be as messy as you want. Labor is welcome here. But eventually this is what you need to line in and line up with. And that's going to take as long as it takes. So if you have questions about how to get back in alignment, I'm happy to answer, but I'm not going to let you two sit here and tear each other apart. That's not what the purpose of this is. You can do that for free on your own. And that's probably what led you into my office. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is a hard tangent, but there are times where, um, well, there's lots yeah. of times where couples will get into that argument. Oh, yeah. Um, and just a little head up for anyone listening. Like if your therapist, like, your couples therapist, who's normally like involved in that yeah. fight process, steps yeah. out. Um, that's really interesting. I've had to do that a few times, and I'm sure and, you've had too. Where oh, it's just yeah. kind of like, um, I kind of have a, a three strike rule where yeah. if my couple goes at it and I, I do a thing and mm-hmm. do an intervention to like slow it down, stop it, they don't pay attention to my guidance. I'll go one up and get a little mm-hmm. more firm. Yeah. But then if they still go at it, then, yeah. oh, I guess it's a two strike rule because <laughs> I do it twice. And then if they keep going at a third time, I guess that's what I would call the third strike. I just go, all right, cool. And I will literally sit there unless there's a safety concern where it's like a physical safety, but oh, I will really? sit there and look down, mm-hmm. peek up every now and then just to see what's going on mm-hmm. and just wait till they're done. Yeah. Because, and this is why I brought up this like little tangent mm-hmm. of this experience is what you're talking about coming into therapy, it's hard if you're going to do the work, but it, it also takes the willingness. We talk about this in a different place of relationship. It also takes the willingness to like, hey, regulate yourself to that place, to choose to work in collaboration with your partner and your therapist to do mm-hmm. something. And at a certain point, you just got to be like, all right, how did that go for you? This thing that you're now paying me this time that you could have done in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. literally for free yeah so that's a tangent but i think it's, nothing <laughs> yeah yeah so i i do just one of my many soapboxes so i wanted to take that up no it's it's there. a it's such a good important thing to bring up and actually i would i would um posit that it's not really a tangent because mm-hmm. i think that does connect back to there are three truths in that projective identification and in that enactment process analytically anyway your couple is bringing you in they're enacting in front of you what it's like and we get to see the real right versus true we are seeing the real them in live time in front of us and that's where i take the position of ah okay now is my chance as the third truth right Uh the the object more objective one i'm sitting and the way my broom is positioned is very intentional i'm sitting in the chair there on the couch And I can already tell with where they're positioning. Do they put pillows in front? Do they like, there's a whole, there's a whole play being enacted in front of me. And then I share, I lean in after I sit back. Cause I've done that too. I'm just like, okay, well, I'll just give it a few minutes. (laughs) And then they take a break and I was like, I do a big exhale because I imagine that's what they want to do as well. And I, 
I sit forward in my chair and I ask many informed consent. I'm going to, I actually tell them, I'm going to share what I just saw. And that's when I voice, it sounds like you're hurt and you feel 10 years old and you're being yelled at by your mom. It sounds like you feel frustrated because you have certain expectations of how quote unquote adults should be. And this partner is not only not meeting them, they're dashing them. And you're having a really hard time reconciling that and not feeling like a parent or a mother having to go in and fix in this. And this brings to your point earlier of children are not giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time. A lot of the women that I work with, with this whole three truths thing, have a very frustrating time understanding that their expectation of how adults should be, I live by fire station, of how adults should be is not what is reality. Adult people still need help with emotional regulation, still need help with communication. It's an unrealistic standard <clears throat> to compare your partner to. And that's that third truth is you might feel like his parent. You might feel like her parent, right? That's how it feels. That's what feels real to the both of you. And objectively, it looks like that. So if we are all on the same page, which ta-da, why are we arguing if we're all on the same page? What can we all do to make this be different? And that's when the defense is really lower. And sometimes I've done that with couples and then I get yelled at. So <laughs> it just, it's a mixed bag, whether they're ready to hear what they want or not. My job, I think, is to tell them in those instances, in an objective sense, I don't go home with them clearly every night. I don't live with them. I see them for an hour or two, ideally a week. Okay. I'm getting a small glimpse of what's happening, of what could be quote unquote true, but I just saw what was real okay. and what's really happening needs to be addressed. So if you want to fix it, here's your intervention. If you don't, you don't ever have to do anything a therapist says. You could pay them good money to come in and give you some interventions and support and be held and heard, et cetera. And it's your choice what you do with that information moving forward after you leave our office or our virtual Zoom room. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you brought up something earlier that I want to say as an end note, mm -hmm. and it's kind of like a quote I've been toying with, but in order for you to really like be in a real relationship, like seeing what's happening in front of you and not getting defensive, your goal, it would benefit any individual listening to this for your goal to be to move like in order to move from the hurt version of yourself to the heard version of yourself you have to check your ego at the door and understand it's not all about you and you are building one life with two people you're not going to get what you want all the time and how do you become a better person when you don't get what you want and instead be appreciative wow we're still doing this thing we're still building a life together. How cool of us rather than, well, I didn't get my way and it's unfair. And when, no, 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 stop doing that. Like, do not turn into the teenager as much as you can help it. That's where emotional regulation skills can come in handy that I recommend you get with your individual therapist. Please have an individual therapist if you're in couples. It makes the process so much more helpful. Tends to be very useful with the emotional regulation. Oh, yeah. I will say um, to my last point as we yeah. wrap from what you just shared that I, I like this idea. I've never thought about it before as, as you're talking about it. So I like that it, there can be a little bit of a, a refocus for each partner of instead of what I'm not getting or where I'm hurt or what is going on different individually for me, 
what can I focus on about what I am getting and what we are mm-hmm. and shifting? Cause it is a, it is a perspective shift to go. All right. So that's, I'm not getting everything I want. That's not what I signed up for. I signed up to be in a relationship and it's a give and a take. So um, I like that. I like that idea of instead of getting hunkered down and just feeling into that hurt space. Mm-hmm. And, I, don't, I don't have yeah. this. And like you said, I'm right. You're wrong. Yeah. Go into, well, wait a second. What, what yeah. are we building here? What, what are we, what are we doing? And what do I have here? Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's uh, three sides to the truth. And I hope that that's very clear from this episode and that there's some tips and tricks about how to look at this and how to develop that patience, develop that emotional regulation to be partners. I love this. Yeah. And if you want somebody who's really tough, but really loving, I love helping couples because it's very beneficial for them. And I think a lot of the times, again, when people come in, speaking of three truths, there's what they expect therapy to be like, what the Uh therapist expects therapy to be like, or knows it based on clinical Uh training to be like, and then what actually unfolds. And so in both senses, especially with couples therapy, we're dealing with already that dynamic of Mm -hmm. the space between the therapist and client client in this case being two members of the couple, Mm -hmm. your relationship is our client. Also, we've mentioned that before. It's not that the two of you separately are it's your relationship, whatever state it's in, that is the client. So that's just a a good end note, Mm -hmm. but we're, we're dealing with balancing therapist client between space, as well as what's going on in real between the two of you as a couple and what's going on with us and having to meld what are your expectations and that's I think often where couples feel that tension and that potential lopsidedness of well you're siding with my partner do you think their truth is more I'm like no again it's not about the truth I am siding with whatever behavior is going to grow you if you came in and told me your goal is to grow and stay together I don't care who it's coming from and if it feels lopsided that 80 percent of the time I'm taking the stance or the position of supporting partner A because their behavior is growing it. Partner B who's seeing that, the goal is again, not to get defensive. It's to look at your partner and model after their effective behavior, put your sword down and realize they may know something that you don't or realize your therapist clearly knows something that you don't yet that we want to teach you to be on the same page. So we don't need to be in the room anymore. And the objective truth is where you can both reside. And then there's not that triangle of like, what's true objectively. And then you, my side, your side, it's we're on the same page. So we're on the like, same team. Yeah. That's yeah, the goal. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Love that. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, if you've got any questions for yes. us, you can shoot us an email, Ryan and Talia at the couples guide podcast.com. Yes. And I do a semi-regular, like a weekly minimum, at least Q and A on my Instagram at Talia Bombola. If you have, there's like various themes each time. If you have any questions for us, you can always message them in there. I, we get some good questions that were like, that's definitely podcast worthy. And if you have just questions in the off time, like, Hey, could you do an episode on this? Just shoot me a DM and I will have somebody get to it and send it to me so we can make note of it. And until next time, please please utilize what we have shared with you in today's episode (laughs) so you can prevent needing a session. (laughs) There you go. Yep. Thanks so much everyone for listening. Take good care.